On this episode of Larry the Golf Guy, we have a really fun and engaging conversation with Ted Antonopoulos. Um, Ted is a longtime head pro at Mayakama Golf Club in Sonoma County in Northern California in the heart of the wine country. Uh, he's now honorary um, uh, golf pro there, uh, but was the head pro for uh, 20 plus years. The original head pro was instrumental in um, establishing the culture at that wonderful club, which it's walking only. It's a Jack Nicholas course, one of Jack's most highly regarded designs, has a Vintner program, as you might expect for a club located where it is. Um, so all of that stuff. But um, we go back and talk about his um, growing up in Augusta, Georgia, uh, and um, his uh, first positions with uh, as an assistant with De- uh, the legendary Ben Doyle at Carmel Valley, um, then his positions in Florida, and um, then coming back to get hired before the opening of Mayakama. And as I said, being a key part of um, uh, really establishing that club. Uh, and along the way, he has um, become recognized as one of the real experts in uh, the rules of golf, has um, officiated at a number of um, major championships. And indeed, um, we were able to catch him before he heads off next week uh, to Augusta for um, the um, Women's Amateur Tournament, and then, of course, the Masters. So, up next on this edition of Larry the Golf Guy, Ted Antonopoulos. Welcome to another edition of Larry the Golf Guy. And I am so thrilled today to uh, welcome to the podcast Teddy Antonopoulos, who um, has had just such a stellar career um, and so much to talk about. A longtime um, head pro, the first head pro at Mayakama. Uh, in Northern California, in Sonoma, longtime rules official, lots of stuff to chat about. Teddy, thank you so much for making time for us today. My pleasure, Larry. Thank you for having me. Uh, so maybe just to give folks a little context and go back to the beginning, you were born in a pretty notable town for this game, Augusta, Georgia. So, um, and I know your dad was a golfer, and I know your brother subsequently became a golf pro, but maybe just chat about kind of how you were first introduced to the game and got started. Well, um, yes, you're right. Growing up in Augusta, Georgia, it uh, it just has a way of getting into your blood. Um, I, I I can't tell you how many times I won the Masters in my front yard. Uh, <laughs> but uh, my father, as you said, uh, was was uh, an avid uh, player. He loved the game, loved the game, and uh, he was not a professional, but he just loved playing golf and. Um, uh, and my brother is a golf professional. Um, he uh, recently retired, as uh, you mentioned, the first uh, head professional. He was the first head professional at Medalist Golf Club, right in in, in South Florida, right? Exactly. So, uh, and he's got he had quite the membership there at Medalist. Uh, <laughs> still does. Yeah. But obviously, you know, that was a big influence on me. Um, I. I there weren't a lot of opportunities for junior golf, uh, believe it or not, in those days uh, and, and in Augusta. But um, and we weren't members of a club. I, I grew up you now. Uh, Buddy is seven years older than me. I was my siblings were 11, nine and seven when I came along. So um, 
you know, if you're a 17 year old, you're not really uh, playing that much with a 10 year old. So right, right. right. <laughs> we kind of grew up separately when it comes to golf. Although I had, um, I had a source right there living in my house who's had, who obviously had had a lot of experience when I was a kid, but um, not a lot of junior golf. Uh, I just, I grew up playing at Augusta Municipal Golf Club, uh, lovingly referred to as the Cabbage Patch or, <laughs> or just the Patch for short. And, uh, Red Douglas was the golf professional. So um, uh, when my brother was a kid, my father took him out there to get some lessons with, uh, with Mr. Douglas. And he said, no, just get him a summer membership. And at the end of the summer, if he wants to take lessons, I'll help him. And so uh, that that wasn't even a conversation with me. Um, I just I got a uh, my father bought me a, a summer membership for twenty seven dollars for three months. Wow! And you know, a lot of times I'd just get dropped off, and um, I had uh, enough money for lunch, and uh, and um, I could put a dime in the payphone and dial seven nine eight five four nine six, let it ring twice, hang up, and then. Uh, he would call right back. And, you know, that was my way of getting home at the end of the day. If we had a thunderstorm and couldn't get out. Right. But, right. You know, I, I was lucky. I could just spend the day out there. There were about eight different kids that played um, just all the time and uh, weekdays only. And um, it was just a, a great way. It was a little too far to ride my bike or, or walk. So I had to get some transportation, but it was just a great way to grow up. And then, um, I went to a high school in Augusta called Richmond Academy that was founded in 1783. Oh, wow. What a history. Yeah. Wow. It, it's, um, and, uh, it was a military school initially. It's still, uh, it has army ROTC now. So, uh, we had to wear uniforms and drill uh, a few days a week, but, um, we had an outstanding golf team. Um, so I was, you know, the, the game never came that easy to me. Um, I, I played all the time. Uh, even to this day, I hear this, boy, you got a good swing. I don't understand why I don't score any better. But, um, <laughs> but you know, I love it. I played all the time. Uh, we, we did become a member of a new club that opened up in Augusta when I was in high school called Westlake Country Club. And I had some friends who were members there. We were never members of Augusta Country Club, which is the Donald Ross right on the other side of the fence. Right, right. Which uh, now uh, Augusta National owns the land that was purchased from that for the new 13th team. Right, 13th team. hole. They, right, they, they chunk, put a chunk of the course out to build yeah. that 13th team. So right? we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that as, as we go <laughs> forward. But, um, but my high school team, um, I mean, th these guys – these guys were, you know, they play two rounds. They're shooting under 150 all the time. Wow. And, you know, breaking 80 was a goal for me back then. But, yeah. um, but uh, I mean, we had a guy named by the name of Dudley Stubb on our team, just one of many really good players. But just to give you an idea of the pedigree, Dudley Stubb was named after uh, his grandfather, Ed Dudley, who was the first professional at Augusta National Golf Club. Oh, wow. Wow. Played in the match in all those early days, so we had quite the uh, quite the golf team. So I I I um I didn't play in high school or college, but um, in fact I took a break uh, from the game a little bit in college. Um, uh, 
an art school out here. And my family, uh, once my father retired, my parents relocated to Northern California. Okay, so that's how you got out there. Okay. Yeah, mother it. always used to live in California. So the, the time came. And so I was uh, involved in a little art school out here and didn't really play for uh, a, about a year and a half or so. And uh, my brother sent my father a set of golf clubs and um, I, I went out to play with him on Father's Day. I remember saying, do you think I'll break 100? Well, I played great. And, you know, that was it. It's just right back into it. Just wow. played, played all the time. And uh, and just decided I, I had a, uh, without actually going through my brother, who was kind of surprised at the time, I had an opportun opportunity to interview at Carmel Valley Golf and Country yes, Club. Right. Which is now known as the golf club at Quail Lodge. But this was right. before Carmel Valley Ranch was was finished. So um, that was Carmel Valley Golf and Country Club. And I I um, I had an interview and was hired there as an assistant uh, for $800 a month. And um, um, I, I listened to some of my peers like Larry <laughs> and, and Mike Harmon talking about, you know, the early salaries. But that was... Uh, Oh, no, it wasn't. It wasn't 800 a month. It was $8 an hour was what it was. Oh, but, wow, wow, wow. Um, ben Doyle was the teaching professor. Right. So we're talking, just so give people some context here. So Ben Doyle was a big Homer, Homer Kelly golfing machine guy. Um, yes. So, you, you, so I'm really interested in kind of a legend um, in teaching in, in Northern California. Um, and... Um, and of course, you know, again, for people who've never gotten into the Homer Kelly book, I mean, you know, Bobby Clampett was a big adherent to it and a few others. And so um, this isn't just anybody you're an assistant to. I mean, what was that like to sort of be uh, an assistant to Ben in those days? Well, it was great. Now, Ben was actually the teaching professional. So um, he was the only instructor there at Carmel Valley Country Club. In fact, he was the only PGA member there. Um, the rest of the golf staff um, were not were not affiliated with the PGA. There was one uh, older gentleman who um, I say older gentleman. If he ever heard me say that, he'd probably shoot me. But <laughs> but um, he was affiliated with the PGA at some point. But um, but for some reason, he was no longer. And and so. Uh, you know, I, I knew the program and, you know, you work for six months for a PGA professional and then you you um, you uh, register in the apprentice program and you get credits, one credit per month. Well, after my six months, I called uh, John McCarthy, who was the executive director of the um, of the Northern California PGA. And he said, no, Ben is not the head professional. Ben is a teaching professional. You need to be working for an A1. I'll oh, boy. Oh, gosh. And so he said, so until you're working for a class A PGA head professional, you're nothing more than a clerk in a golf shop. And I thought, well, that was worth moving down here. For. Oh, my gosh. Oh, boy. Uh, but um, and, you know, I'm a I'm a rules person. So yes. I follow the rules. But follow the rules. Right. <laughs> we, 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 you know, I said, well, what if Ben were named the head professional? And uh, he said, well, if he were the head professional and, and did a change form and made himself uh, the class A1 uh, head professional, then you could earn credit. So I had to go to the club and the Mr. Mr. Haber, Ed Haber, 
who uh, was the owner there um, and actually had the golf course built. Um, it was uh, Robert Muir Graves, who was a landscape architect originally. Um, he yeah. was the architect of the golf course. Every hole favored a little draw because that was Mr. Haber. Everything. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I grew up, you know, with my half, my first set of golf clubs was a half set of Spalding tournament Queens. They were too big for me, but they weren't going to buy you a junior set in those days. They right. bought you ladies clubs and you right. grew into them. Well, my, it was the worst driver on the planet. I'd hit that thing about 150 yards and turn right. But Carmel Valley Country Club taught me how to draw the ball. Thanks to, <laughs> but at any rate, um, we did the paperwork, and and much to the chagrin of the couple of the guys in the golf shop, because they didn't really like the fact that Ben was now being named the head professional, and and they even said that's for this uh, that title is for this paperwork only. And uh, at any rate, Ben was, as far as the PGA was concerned, the head professional, and I spent. Um, it was kind of a different place. Um, it was, I heard Mike and a couple of other guys saying, you know, it's not 40, it's not a 40 hour a week job. Well, it was at that, you know, if, if, where I was at that time, it was, it was 40 hours a week. So I spent my days off and uh, my lunch hour, just standing there watching Ben teach. Uh -huh. And he uh if you're familiar and people listening familiar, he, he was, uh, I'll use the word eccentric. Uh, yeah. he, was a man. Um, he had a, he had to teach at the far end of the driving range. He used to teach up near the clubhouse, but you know, his, his deal about just taking out turf, taking out divots, the owner just panicked every time he, every time he saw these divots. <laughs> he liked, you know, looking out over the range and seeing this beautiful turf. We even had, one tee that was made for woods only um, that was just always perfect turf. So Ben got moved down to the far end of the driving range and um, a member let him plug in his, uh, his video camera uh, and it run an extension cord from his house down there. And uh, Ben just had so many students, including Bobby Clampett, as you mentioned, and uh, who was at that time at just, uh, gone off to BYU to play. Right. And um, actually when I started there, he was, he just had left BYU and, uh, you know, cover of golf magazine. Right. And I played with Bobby a lot. We got to be good friends when he was in town. Um, and then he later moved to Sawgrass where I also went as an assistant after Carmel. Right. We played golf together down there as well. But, um, uh, Ben was was just great, and he knew the book. He was the first authorized instructor of the golfing machine, and he knew right. that book inside and out. And uh, just listening to him teach uh, was obviously inspirational. And there were a, he used to go to Oklahoma State when Mike Holder was the coach. Yeah, famous golf coach, sure, absolutely. And uh, he would go there every year for um, almost a week, just working with those kids. Uh, Stanford team would come down occasionally. He had a ton of college kids that came into town. He he basically pulled in and taught all day long, every day, sometimes without a lunch break, with the exception of Sunday. He went to church on Sunday morning, and he usually pulled in around 11 o'clock. Wow. And um, uh, 
so he just he taught all the time and uh he also had a phone down in the tree uh, because they eventually he got so many calls that they just got tired of taking his calls. <laughs> so he had his diary and his uh, phone down in, a, in a, a big oak tree down at the back of the driving range. But um, he was wonderful. G O L F, geomet geometrically oriented linear force. Uh, twenty four basic components. 12. Right, twenty four. I remember that. So when I work with someone today, I don't. You know, everyone is different. And, yeah. and, and, and I'm, I'm not a method person. Um, you know, you just watch the player hit balls and you kind of evaluate and, and yeah. go from there. But um, I can get as technical as they would like based on that experience. <laughs> but the thing about the golfing machine is that that book described every golf swing there is good and bad. Yeah. So you got to know the bad as well as you got to know the good and you knew yeah. what, you know, hinging club head throw away. Yeah. Yeah. You know, all of that stuff. You, you, you learned it. it. This was a funny story. One day I'm out playing with a couple of other assistants in the area. Um, at, at that day, in those days, uh, 1981, 82, we actually even had the ability to go over and play pebble once a week. Oh, and wow. A, wow. A game at Cyprus and occasionally a game at, at Monterey. Oh, oh so, boy. Lucky place to work yeah um, for many reasons but we're, we're teeing it up and ben is riding in from a playing lesson now he had this old westinghouse metal golf car a three-wheeler and he had enough room not to be graphic for like one cheek on the seat and he had everything <laughs> he had his tv he had his cameras he had his clubs he had another bag he had hockey sticks brooms mops uh every teaching aid you can think of he had um, he had a copy of, of course he had Hogan. He was a big Hogan guy. And yeah. He had a copy of of uh, of five lessons. Of five modern. lessons. Yeah. But he also had a uh, um, he also had a copy of Power Golf, and it was a, a, a first or second edition. So it had the photographs. I've got one. It's all torn to pieces. Oh wow! I've I've never, you know I have like about two hundred golf books, but that's one I don't have. I I it's I, worth it for the pictures alone. I'm sure it is. Yeah. It was, I think it was Fitzsimmons Photography Studios that took those photographs of Hogan um, at Augusta National. You can tell it's Augusta National because you can see it is back, uh, the, the uh, magnolia trees. It was, the, oh, wow. It was on the right side of the range. Yeah. Because, in days it, you know, you, you, you hit to, you hit to caddies. Uh, right. You take your shag bag and you tell right. your caddy. Oh. Right. Uh, Fitzsimmons Photography, who used to do our high school pictures, they photographed these. But at any rate, Ben had, it was a beautiful book. And of course, he had his magic marker or a Sharpie. It was a magic yeah. marker in those days with angles drawn all over the photographs of Hogan, you know, talking about the plane, the, 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 the swing plane, the inclined plane, the right forearm plane, all this stuff. Anyway, Ben comes driving back, sitting on the one cheek, driving the old Westinghouse uh, golf car. And he's driving up by the third hole. And, and we were teeing off on the third hole. So he stopped and watched. And and I um I I hit it kind of high on the face. Balada, you know, yeah. Yeah. hit it kind of high on the face. So it wasn't a pop-up, but it, you know, you didn't get much out of the club in those days when you hit it high on the face. And I looked at Ben and he looked at me and he said, read two J one. 
So I, <laughs> I go back, finish my round. I remembered it, obviously, like I remembered it like it was yesterday. <laughs> I go home. I get out the golfing machine. I read 2J1, which had to do with the swing radius. So when you're swinging a golf club and that weight on the end, you've got what's called extensor action, you know, just like right. a baseball player. Right. You're extending, the club is extending, and you get this, this uh, left arm club shaft in line. And it, and it talks about when the ball's on a tee, you've got to, you, you've got to compensate for that. Right. So basically you, you should almost be addressing the ball a little more towards the toe of the club. So you give that, that club room to expand that arc to expand yeah. so that impact or as they would call it impact fix, you got the center of the ball, the center of the club face right behind the ball. And I thought, that's the damnedest thing I've ever heard. I mean, 2J1 right off the top of his head. But he knew it. He knew it inside and out. It's kind of like reading the rules of golf. You read this. Now, the rules are written for efficiency, believe it or not. But when it tells you about placing or replacing a ball, it has a, uh, it's got like a signpost, C14.2, which tells you how to place or right. replace a ball. Well, that's right. what the golfing machine had in it. Yeah. You, you go to look up something, and by the time you get to the meat of it, you're already in a different place in the book because it, you know, it has all these signposts that direct you to different places. But wow, Ben, ben was a I had the honor of speaking at his memorial service, actually yeah. right right after Bobby um, did. But um, he he was just a, a wonderful sweetheart of a man, and I mean he would he would book up, you know, a month out. But um, he would still take the time to work with us, and and at, I I left there and I went to I went to TPC at Sawgrass, which we can talk about. But then, yeah. first head professional position was back at Carmel Valley Country Club, um, after okay. Sawgrass, and I went to Ben uh, and I said, Ben, um, you know, I taught a little bit at at, uh, at Sawgrass. Not a lot, but a little bit. Um, there was a funny story about that. But I taught a little bit there. And, um, you know, I've got a couple of members here. Uh, you know, you, some of them are your former students, but asked me about teaching. And, I, you know, I didn't want to overstep my boundary. I mean, it was my first job as a head professional, but I didn't have really all the responsibilities that a normal head professional has. We had a merchandise manager and a golf shop manager. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, I was honored to be offered this position, but a lot of the stuff I learned at, at TPC, I wasn't able to to implement there. So at any rate, I, I went to Ben and said, you know, would I don't want to step on your toes and I'll respect whatever you say. He said, OK, let me think about it. And he came back the next day and he said, OK, you know, we can do that. Uh, and I'll, I'll give you 50 percent of your lessons. Well, um my wife, Susie Antonopoulos, is who uh, we married when, when I was down there as an assistant making $8 a month, um, smartest person. <laughs> that didn't go over very well. What do you mean? You're going to give him 50% of your lessons. And I said, you know, Susie, I'd do it for nothing just to be able to do it, just to right. be able to have experience. But um, I, can, I can tell you that there is not a lesson. There's, there's not a day that goes by when I'm teaching that. I don't think about and more often than not quote something that Ben said. Wow. Wow. And 
And uh, I mean, he had that kind of effect on on me and my ability to teach. And and when I when I was at Sawgrass, worked for a gentleman by the name of Pete Davison, who was a good player. Uh, won the Met Open, played the tour for a while, played in the Open at Marion and at Pebble, and um, he was quite the player. And um, um, Pete, um, when when I went down and interviewed with him. And he was also from Augusta and he oh. grew up playing golf. Wow. What so, a coincidence. That's funny. Yeah. That, that helped. Um, of course, leaving Carmel driving to Jacksonville, Florida, my wife cried every mile. Yeah. I was going to um, say, I wanted to. <laughs> and she celebrated every mile on the way back to the West coast. So, um, you know, part of the deal there is, you know, this is going to be, you're, you're going to work, you know, 55 to 60 hours a week. Um, uh, you know, you'll teach when I feel like you, uh, I'm comfortable with your ability to teach. Well, I, you know, the golfing machine was, was kind of had some notoriety in those oh, days. Oh, back then for sure. 83, yeah. you know, yeah. Bob, out. Bob, I mean, with Clampett, especially. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Remember, the, remember the open championship? I think. Oh, I, I, I've had this conversation, you know, I had Jimmy Roberts on from NBC sports and yep. he wrote that book about the slump and I didn't, and I knew he had people he had talked to who he ended up not putting in the book. Um, right. and, and, but I always, when I think of slumps, I mean, I mean, just quickly interject. I mean, you and I are around the same age. I was never, you know, I played in college only because of where I went to college. I wasn't any great shape. Yeah, I was like a two, three handicap, my best, but Bobby Clampett was at the zenith back then because I mean I remember playing in the national that that insurance youth classic because you know as you were saying earlier before I mean it's not we didn't have the AJGA back then I mean this wasn't like you know junior golf right. is today and so but the national insurance youth classic was a big deal because you you know if you qualified for the national one you would play with a pro the last day or two I mean anyway I mean. I, you know, I never got to the national one, but I remember Bobby Clamper like won it several times and, you know, and he was the next big thing. And, and he had that 36 hole lead at the open and it looked like he was just going to go waltz to that first major. And then not only he doesn't win that, he was never really the same after that. Right. He, he won the Southern open after that. I think that was his only tour. victory. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, he won the Southern open after that, but, um, when, when we moved, uh, when, when I left Sawgrass we and came back to uh, Carmel Valley Country Club as the head professional, um, bouncing back and forth from one coast to another, uh, we actually rented Bobby's condo in at Carmel Valley Ranch. So when he was in town, you know, we stayed in the same place, Susie and I and, um, uh, and Bobby and Ann uh, was his wife at the time. And... Um, Bobby had this beautiful thing that the RNA gave him because uh, he was 11 under after 36 holes. That right. Right. Open championship record. Right. But it, you open it up with the beautiful blue leather cover and you open it up and inside it was uh, the, the, the outward nine, the inward nine, an engraved scorecard of his wow. score. Beautiful. 36 holes. It was just a one of, he had all of his trophies in that room. Um, in that in that apartment but yeah he he was something and ben uh just was a, a sweetheart of a man and and he um you know he would he, he had one of those old graph check cameras and i still have 
in my <laughs> we, we lost our home in 2017. Oh, I know the fire. I read about that. That you must have had so much memorabilia. I, oh, I felt heart sick when I read about that. It's ridiculous. I mean, you, you see old Tom up here. This was yeah. Adam opposite my comma, but I had I had clubs made by old Tom. Oh and, boy. Oh boy. Uh, you know, books signed by Bobby Jones and all that. But at any rate, fortunately, my copy of the golfing machine was in my office. Okay. One little graph check uh, film of Ben, you know, he would use his nail and kind of circle the, the film to make a circle around. Uh, you know, he would always try to match up my upper body with my lower body. It was like, you know, your lower body's running down the fairway while your upper body is in perfect, perfect position. But, but, um, at any rate, he he, he was a, a wonderful person, and then um, you know talking about talking about playing. Um, so I, I didn't you know I didn't play in high school or, or college, but I played right. all the time. And yeah, um, when Jeff Kitty was talking about this friend of his in California uh, who has a goal of a hundred rounds a, a year, and he didn't mention who it was, but. You know, the, you know who it was. Well, now, I, I had I had another pro who heard it, who who I have to tell you, tell me told me it was you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we were all involved in this leadership club. And, I mean, I, I I listened to Mike Harmon, and I, I listened <laughs> to him talking about you know who's gonna who's gonna take lessons from you if you can't break eighty. And now, I mean, when I say I struggled with my game, you know, I worked at it and, and worked and worked, and especially when I became a professional, because I put that up here with everything else. Sure. Ability. And if and if you I agree, I mean, you 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 need to be able to play respectably. And and uh, and so it's a, it, I, something that I place so much importance on. And there, there was a there was that story of, of Ben Hogan when he was. Um, when he was interviewing uh, with Ken Venturi. Right, uh, that famous uh, interview on CBS Golf, right. And he's talking about the uh, the uh, U.S. Open at Cherry Hills, and he hit that shot exactly uh, like he wanted to. Yeah. And Venturi said, and it spun back and went in the water. And Venturi said, do you, you still think about that uh, shot today? And he said, every day. And yes. It tears, yeah. And it tears my guts out. Well, I use that quote every time I have a bad round of golf. It's like, yeah, it just—it's so important to me and play like this. Just, but I, I, you know, it's it's really it's something that's very important to me. And we were in this leadership club, and yeah. it's a great group of golf professionals. A lot of them that you've interviewed, uh, and and uh, um, we, we, you know, we always start off and we kind of go around the room and say a couple of things, and. Um, uh, it, 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 Eric Eshelman was on the opposite yeah, yeah. table from me, who I know you've spoken to. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, I, and, and he great. said, you know, our our deal is at Country Club of Birmingham. We we don't want to be we don't want to be air conditioned golf pros. Yeah, he used that <laughs> term on my podcast. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> we, we need to be out on the range. We need to be uh, we need to be visible. We need to. Um, we need to be playing with people. We, we, you know, we're, we're part of the deal. We don't want to, and that's, that's my deal. It's like, we don't want to be air conditioned. I know, I want to know what's going on out there. The worst nightmare is someone comes in and says, well, that was great. That took me five and a half hours. Well, I should know that, you know? Right, so, right, right. so uh, not that that happens, but when, anyway, we're going around the room and when we got to my, my side, 
Yeah. I said, Eric, you're my hero. Edition <laughs> golf pros. I said, I will, I will steal that and I will <laughs> use that every day because you know it's important for I don't like to say my assistants because we all work together. You sure. know, we're, we're one group. So I'll say our assistant when I get back, I'm sharing that with our assistant, my fellow professionals, because we don't want to be air conditioned golf pros. We or golf professionals. We we want to we want to be out there playing. It's an important part of the deal because it 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 gives you that edge more like any it, it, differently than any other business. When, when you're you're in the service business, you're you're taking care of people, um, and people can be short. You know, if things sure. don't go. Yeah. And, uh, as Mike Harmon said, it's the hardest game on the planet. When they come in off the golf course. Not a lot of times they're not happy, you know, not with anything that happened other than their play. And and when you have the ability to go out with someone and help them with their game, it puts you kind of in a different level than absolutely someone else in the in the service business. So at any rate, that's why I place such a high importance on on playing the game. So we um we we got we got around to me and I said Eric you're my hero I'm going to steal that term you know I've, I've had about three original thoughts in, in <laughs> from someone else so I'm stealing that one and I said I I have a goal every year of playing a hundred rounds of golf I figure if I play a hundred rounds of golf I'm probably probably going to play uh, with at least about 200, 250 members right. Members, you know, I don't fall into the trap of playing with the same group. Sure, uh, and and uh, and I play on Saturday morning. I mean, I know it's a busy day, but but you know, I'm out there. If something goes wrong, I'm out there. I know what what happens, but but it it's it's hugely important. And then I, I remember the next year we actually hosted this leadership club meeting at at, at um, Mayakama, and uh, I think it was Kerry Cosby gave a, a presentation. Yeah, another and, great guy. He's fantastic. Guy. He gave a presentation, and uh, and I forgot the subject matter, but I remember the ending. The last slide he put up was ninety two, because at the end of that meeting, they said, "Well, how many did you play last year?" And I said, "I said I only I didn't make it. I only had ninety two. So the following year, Kerry's given this presentation, and he puts up ninety two. And he That's said, let's, great. Let's not forget what our goal is." But we're going around, and then uh, Rick Summers, who's one of the guys um, who who put the leadership club together, um, uh, Rick Summers kind of challenged me in, in a nice way. But he said, so I'm your owner. How do you explain that to me, that you're on the golf course playing 100 rounds of golf a, a year? And, and I said, well, you know the story. You're going to learn more about somebody from around playing around the golf with them than you are any other thing. And I'm out there with one of our members or three of our members playing golf for four hours, hopefully not much longer than that, with two caddies. And uh, and I'm going to hear about it. If there's something that they don't like, I'm going to hear about it. And if I get – I get, I love Mike's thing about the shortest word in the English language. He always, no, yeah, he loves it. <laughs> but, you know, and not being all things to all people. Right, but, right. Um, but I, I'm going to hear about it. And sometimes we're going to have to address that with a no. But more often than not, if we, we get to hear something and it's a valid complaint, then, then we get to deal with that. And um, so Rick said, well, that's great. And then we're going around the table and I won't tell you who it was, but the guy next to me said, 
92 rounds. You know, I played five rounds last year. And I said, well, well, that's your problem. You know, it's like now he was also a GM. Okay. And, and um, and and I I have my own thing about that. At Fisher Island, I had six, and it had been up it, up those early days at Mayakama. I think I think we had I, we had five different ones. I was thinking maybe it was me. Maybe I was doing something to, to run these guys off. But but um, but this guy was a GM, and he obviously has other responsibilities. But um, but I, I just said, you know, that's hundred rounds of golf. That's my goal. He said, well, you must be a, a early riser i said i hate to get up early no i'm not i said i'll stay till eight o'clock at night if i need to but but no i just you know plan my day and make the games that you know it's not where the guy walks into the golf shop and says hey ted let's go play right i kind of have a day planned here but (laughs) but you want to you know if you want to do something i'll put you in the diary for next week and we'll we'll right right and it um you know you you had mentioned uh earlier in our correspondence about the these traveling cups yeah uh, the 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 uh playing in in uh, the uk i mean in the early days our managing partner was a gentleman by the name of philip norfleet and um and philip uh and his wife carol who was our membership person who uh did an unbelievable job of putting together 300 members before we opened the doors which wow the thing to be able to do wow you know yeah. we opened august 11th uh 2001 one month before you know all hell broke uh, right 9 11 right yeah exactly yeah. and uh and then the you know a couple of economic downturns in particular yes. hey and we had yeah. a strong base where we were able to weather those storms yeah uh, but at any rate philip you know we we're talking about creating a culture and, and, you know, like every club has their own drink. I said, well, we'll figure that out. You know, we're, we, we're not really going to right now, right now we don't have anything. I mean, we got a, we got a range and we're going to have a casita that's going to be our golf shop for a year. And, yeah. and you know, we know that we're going to have lodging here. And we know that uh, for a large part, we're an annual member. Uh, we're not annual. We're a national membership with 125 nationals. The majority of our members actually live in the San Francisco Bay Area, so we're an hour north of the bridge, uh, Golden Gate Bridge. And then we've got, you know, our Vintner members, and uh, uh, we've got a, a, you know, a decent-sized local base. But for the most part, we were kind of a destination club with some lodging on board and and uh, and that sort of thing. But um, uh, we were talking about, you know, a, a, a establishing the culture and. He said, "Well, I also think that we should uh, we should take a trip to the UK every year." And I said, "Well, I'm your guy because I played over there a decent amount. I played the Glen Eagles four ball many years, and uh, actually took a trip before I became a professional and played all the great ones with. And you know, we tried to play and tried to qualify for a few things over there. Yeah, there were brothers that went over." And uh, and then two of us stayed and went around and tried a couple of mo- Monday qualifiers and a few different things. Yeah. But I said, you know, I'm your guy. So we started this trip um, with, uh, you know, marketed it to the membership, said, you know, I've got room for 11 players. 
filled it up. Most of them didn't know any of them. We went to Ireland. Mm-hmm. I, I remember when Golf Magazine first came out with the top 100 courses in the world, and I was maybe in high school, maybe younger. I'll never forget looking at those photographs of Royal County Down. Yeah, that's my number one course. Uh, unbelievable. I mean, if yeah. I had one last round to play, it'd be the old course. But yeah. but I'd have to say that that's Royal County Down, is, along with about five others, is my favorite. Yeah, it, uh, Ireland is amazing with golf, I know. So I, Between I took, Royal County Down, Bally Bunyan, I'm sure you've played them all. I mean, they're just oh, amazing. It, it was fabulous. So, and we and we have since, you know, high on our priority is off the beaten path places like Fort Rose and Rose Markey. It's a place so unique, it's named twice. You know, it's like it, it, all of these wonderful places to play and the hospitality and the people there, they love sharing. Yeah. Their- oh, they do. I try to explain. I mean, yeah, obviously, you know this, but people don't. You know, even a place like Muirfield, which is sort of the zenith of private clubs, I always sort of were among them, you know, in the UK, you can still, you know, play there. I mean, it's very different culture, right, than the United States, where our sort of elite clubs, I mean, if you're not a member or you don't have a, you know, know someone who's a member, you're not going to be playing there. Whereas, right. you know, the UK and I, you can write to them in advance and, you know, they reserve slots for visitors and stuff. Yes, and um, it's it's wonderful. And they're proud of it. And and yeah. many times you'll have a member caddying for it. Yeah, right. Which is just something that's unheard of. So so uh, I took 11 people over there and just kind of devised this little Ryder Cup deal. We had a, a trophy. Uh, we, we called it the Traveling Cup. Um, awesome. And uh, you get your name engraved. If you were the winning team, you get your name engraved on the cup. And we would pack up the truck and the, the pack up the trunk and send the trophy over there and uh you know it would be on the first tee of all of these venues and we have a wonderful dinner oh great we present the trunk and it, we had two captains initially it was our first assistant john mcmullen uh who's hillcrest down at your way right right i know john yeah and he recently left he's now uh gm of scotty cameron right which is a wonderful opportunity for him yeah sure is uh, John captain one side and I captain the other, but then we eventually started that the club was great about me doing this, but since I'm not sure we're going to let two of you go every year, but, <laughs> um, but it was just a tradition. And your that, members must've just loved it. They loved it. And and here's the part about that. Like what Mike Harmon said about when you travel with somebody, um, I mean, these guys didn't know anybody either, either each other. It was a new club, you know, it I've got two guys, prominent people in the Bay Area. They are lifelong golfing buddies as a result of that very first. Oh, cool. That's so awesome. And it's just such a great thing for the culture of the club. You know, you'll have a guy who walks down to the range and he'll see somebody that he traveled with on one of these trips. It's like, hey, do you have a game today? Come play with us. We need a fourth. It just did wonders for the culture of our club. And I uh, was, um, I was, having a conversation with a lady uh, who's a member and her husband went and she was on me about doing one for women. And, mm-hmm. you know, we have, we have back middle and forward tees. We don't have ladies tees. We, right. We're not really gender being gender specific yeah. when it comes to golf. Uh, no, no rules, no restrictions like that. Um, but I'm, I'm saying, you know, 
we get a big turnout for the for the free clinics that we do every April or every May to get kind of started into our golf season because we're a little cooler up here than you are down there. Right, right. So, um, and we we fill those up, but you know, I have a hard time getting eight people to play in the club championship. How am I going to get eight to to go go to the UK? Well, um, I had. I might have had it might have been 16 including me it was at least 12 that very first trip so i started doing two a year one for men one for women and another it was just people still to this day say you know those trips uh just it adds so much value to the membership and it didn't cost the club a, a penny right but it's just just such a wonderful thing and then that you know they each have their own cup that they play for one of my favorite uh ones I had these two uh, older gentlemen, higher handicaps, um, and and they were the two captains. And uh, people always used to say, well, what happens if we tie? Does everybody get their name on it? I said, no. It'll just have the two captains' names, and they'll say, all square. But I said, you know, I want to look back 20 years from now and say, Look at that, you know, 2005. Those guys go all the way over there and nobody won. They nobody wins, it. right, exactly. Stuff had happened. And it, was, it was one of the greatest ones. We finished at St. Andrews. Oh, uh, wow. And the two captains were there. You know, the last group, come, last match comes in and and it turns out it's, it was all square. So no one got their name on the cup and, and uh it, it just it's just done wonders for our club. I, I love it. That that is great. Um, the, the thing about the thing about um, culture, uh, yeah. you know, with Mike talking about his culture there at Secession, yeah. played I played for many years, uh, even out from coming from out here. In fact, I was going to play last year in the Secession Pro member, and because I've got a member who's a member there, a couple of them, and. Uh, he had to back out at the last minute. So it's oh, too bad. Yeah. I was looking forward to moving up on that set of tees. and let the old guys play, <laughs> but, um, but uh, you know, I've, I've seen Mike with that culture and, and, and how it, 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 it evolved. Uh, it had some coaching, but it evolved there and it's same, same with us. But um, I just loved taking our members to those clubs and like I said, you, you might have members that caddy. You might have the member that drives up in his uh, the latest Jaguar and pop the trunk, pull out his clubs, pull out his trolley, load them up, and right. off he goes to the first tee. And he didn't have to be greeted at the gate right. and then <laughs> be greeted again in the parking lot with a walkie-talkie and an earpiece, calling <laughs> the guy's name 15 times. I mean, all of that's fine. But it's really about the authentic golf experience. Totally. Yeah. That's and, and you know, our, and like one of the things we've got a wonderful caddy program. And one of the things that helped establish our culture is that our members take their hat off and shake hands when they on the 18th green. But don't think for a minute that now some of them obviously they do, or maybe they watch it on tour, but but that's what our caddies do. So wow. when the caddy up and shakes hands with his hat in his hand the member instinctively absolutely takes hand it's just one of those little golf culture i i i love it and i want to talk a little more about because you've been there from the beginning at mayakama establishing the culture but just just so i get the geography right before we get to the start of mayakama so you had a 
I didn't actually realize that you had come back to California after Sawgrass, because I know you had a bunch of positions in Florida. I was kind of curious kind of how you were able to go back and forth. You were, I think you were at Eagle Trace, you were right. at PGA National, you were at Cypress Links and Jupiter. You mentioned Fisher Island, which may be the last one you were at. So so, so you, you, you go to Florida for Sawgrass. It sounds like you come back to right. California for Convey, then you get pulled back to Florida. And are you there for all those times until you, till yes. Mayakama? Yeah, uh, I was there until Mayakama. So that was about 18 years uh, going back to South Florida. I am, um, like I said, I, I got my first job kind of on my own. Yeah. But uh, my brother was at Amelia Island at the time and he, and he okay. went to Sawgrass after I was an assistant there. Interesting. Did, okay. Kind of moved higher up in the chain, and Buddy was director of golf there at, at TPC, and and Eagle Trace had just opened up, and they were um, they were making a change there. I think they were moving the the professional that originally opened that club back up to Sawgrass, so they had an opening for a golf professional there. And um, you know that was that was one of the harder conversations I've had to have was to tell Mr. Haber that. I've got this opportunity in Florida. Um, I mean, our daughter was born at, at Carmel Community Hospital. And, oh, wow. And, okay, yeah. Uh, Susie had a, a nice job at Quail Lodge. But I had an opportunity there uh, at, at Eagle Trace where Susie wouldn't have to work. Her parents lived in Lake Worth. Oh, okay. uh, that that helps. I was wondering. So she had her family there. That's yeah, right. Yeah. And, and uh, she still cried every mile on the way back. But... but um, <laughs> It was it was a it was a, a career move that uh, you know that all the things that I learned working for Pete at Sawgrass and working for Ben and it was an opportunity for me uh, to do a lot of the things that I learned in in, in the game. Yeah, uh, you know, we had a we had a um, a tour stop, the Honda Classic. Yeah, I remember the Honda was down there. Yeah, uh, it moved from Inverary yeah. to Trace and. Um, I, I was trying to remember. This will test your memory. I'm trying to think which I think it was the Honda when I always remember Calcavecchia hitting that eight iron with the ping I two out of the rough. That kind of led to the whole square grooves controversy. And I have a feeling it was there, uh, but I didn't go back and check. Do you remember that? Do you remember that? That when he, he hit that and the thing goes boom and it stops right away. And all of a sudden that started the whole square groove controversy, right? It was Bermuda rough, but it was overseeded rye, and it was yeah. About you remember, fifth. right? And he caught one there, and it and he kind of cut the corner, went over a went over part of the water, like part yeah. of the part of the green stuck out in the water, right? Like an island green with the railroad ties. He hit there <laughs> about fifteen feet or so, and just stopped it on a dime. stopped on a dime from the <laughs> brilliant copper eye tubes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> At any rate, I, I had this wonderful opportunity to, to go there, so so we did, and um, you know I'd had some I'd had minimal tournament experience other than the PGA Tour Q School that we had down at Sawgrass, and then that one TPC uh, uh, champ, the Tournament Players Championship, which was the second one. Um, so I think that was how. Uh, I think it was Hal Sutton. Jerry Pate won the first one. Dove in, right, pushed right. Um, but then uh, I think it was Hal Sutton that won the second one. And um, 
at any rate, that we had the Spalding Pro-Am at Carmel Valley Country Club, which I got to play in, which was great um, as a professional. That had men and women playing. Right, I remember that. Yeah, I remember uh, Julie Inkster playing in it some years yeah, and stuff. Yeah, played a practice yeah. Yeah. just lost recently. Um, but at any rate, so we had the Honda Classic. Um, that was a big thing. Uh, obviously, yeah. our involvement there was really, you know, the golf shop running the merchandise operation. Um, but we also had, uh, even at Sawgrass, but it, it, we also had a lot of interaction with the uh, um, tour officials. Sure, which I, sure. Uh, I remember as an assistant at Sawgrass back when uh, David Eager was there. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mark Russell it, it was hired. Mike wow. Shea, uh, Slugger was hired. Right. Yeah, these are there. big rules. These are famous rules, people. Well, these were these were the guys, and then and so then whoever was the advanced man, you know, would come down to Eagle Trace. So I'd just be in their back pocket all the time. I mean, I, I loved it. You know, we had we had their radio uh, in the golf shop, and you know, just to listen to those guys, uh, the camaraderie they had, how they kept themselves entertained because. You know, your best day is you don't have to do anything. Right. Exactly. You do, you do course setup uh, right. and pay attention to the weather and you make your adjustments. But once they drop the green flag, your best day is you don't have anything. Yeah. To do. Yeah. It absolutely. And right. They, it was just, and it's that's still the case today. It's the, the, the radio is just a, the camaraderie you get on the radio. It's like, you, and you know, you, you know, they, you know, their voice and they know your voice. It's, sure. it's just a wonderful thing. But, but um, so I was at Eagle Trace and really kind of started their tournament culture down there because okay. it hadn't been open very long. And um, and it was the first private club outside of Sawgrass. Okay. I mean, it had its, its charter members, but it also had its associate members, which were called $52 members. You know, you, you pay your associate dues and then you pay green fees every time you play. And we had hundreds of them, but. But at Eagle Trace, it was a you know full-on private club, and um, and it, you know my job was to look after the developer because that was a very important relationship. Sure. Sure. Dean, who was really getting this whole thing, and much to the chagrin of many of the players, um, really getting this whole TPC network started. And I get right. it. Because, you know, he, you had uh, players who you know the top two the, in those days, Arnie and Jack. Yeah. The, off courses and you know it's kind of like a competing oh thing. i know there was there i mean i haven't read dean's bio or that autobiography but i know there's a section in there where he talks about and i remember when it happened you know with jack and arnie against him in terms of that stuff that's uh, that's absolutely right so uh, eagle trace was great and then i had the opportunity to go to pga national i was the host professional uh for the 87 wow. PGA Championship. Uh, Larry Nelson, right? If I'm remembering, or is that or is Larry that Nelson in a playoff with? Right. Uh, yeah. And uh, not the greatest looking putting surfaces. No, I remember all the flack from uh, oh, that. Yeah. And uh, I remember in the locker room that uh, ABC and I think that was ABC. That, yeah, they still had the PGA uh, back then. Yeah. Yeah. ABC interviewing uh, Ben Crenshaw and uh, and. You know, a perfect gentleman. As yeah, you would. absolutely, quintessential gentleman. And then, and of course, it was over, and the lights go off, and he looked over and said, "What the heck did happen?" <laughs> but um, you know, <laughs> lithium in the water. I don't know, but who knows? We tried to keep, uh, we tried to keep 
bent grass through the summer in Palm Beach, Florida, for an August championship. How and pot, this, that's that's hard. So um, I remember I was away, and I came back on July the seventh. It was a, about five weeks before the PGA was going to be held, and there was a memo on my desk from um, a copy of a memo. Uh, it was for from. Uh, Colin Wright and Rick Rennick, who was the director of golf, if any uh, professionals want to come in and play a practice round, uh, they must speak with uh, Colin, Rick Rennick, or Ted Antonopoulos prior to doing so. And I took the memo and I went in and said, what's this all about? July the 7th, I'll never forget. And they said, come on, we'll show you. And we walked out to the ninth green. It's like, where's the grass? Oh, boy. Wilted. And so we had to work really hard to verticut them, fertilize them, get whatever Bermuda and roll them, get whatever Bermuda we could get. And um, and in those days, the head professional uh, was invited to play as a uh, competitor. Okay. You know, with the USGA, you, you got to go to the sectional qualifying. Um, but but for the PGA Championship at that time, the host professional. Interesting, I wasn't aware of that. That's cool. And and uh, and so <laughs> that same day, I, another thing that was on my desk was a, a an entry form that was from Don Smith of the PGA of America, and it said, uh, um, uh, Rick or Ted, if you plan on playing, let me know. We need this in by whatever day it was, and I said, Rick. We're like 10 days past the deadline. What, what, you know, you could have called me. It's like, I'd, I'd, I'd give anything to play. Um, the rough was unbelievable, by the I'm way. I'm sure, yeah. But um, he said, oh, I'll call Don. We, I'm sure we can get in. I said, Rick, it's the PGA Championship. <laughs> you got, they got deadlines. This is the rules. Yeah, yeah. We didn't get in. Of course, we didn't get in. But that was a, a wonderful thing. And then... Um, Cypress Links, which is now called the Dye Preserve, Pete Dye Golf Course, wonderful golf course. It was an existing course in Jupiter, um, and it was uh, 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 Joe Webster who developed Long Cove and three other partners. Wonderful group of of, of gentlemen um, built this annual membership club. You know, if you think about South Florida, they they've all got clubs up north, right? Uh, so. To have to come down and pay another fifty, sixty, seventy-five thousand entry fee when they could get a private club for basically dues only—it um, was a, a great idea. It was a it was a wonderful club, wonderful golf course. Uh, had the pleasure of playing with Pete and Alice many oh, times. Oh wow, wow, they were awesome. It, it was just it was just an outstanding. Well, that's such a great experience for you, yeah. And I was there for about three years, and then. Uh, got a call from a person who had something to do with Fisher Island uh, in Miami. Yeah. And that was a very unique place. Nine hole golf course. Right. And for people who don't know it, I mean, as the name implies, it's a very elite place on its oh. own Island. I mean, uh, off, you know, off Miami yeah, there. Yeah. It's, it's car very ferry. elite. Yeah. It You take a car ferry over to it. Right. Uh, even though it was initially, it was the Southern tip of Miami beach. And then when they dredged government cut to create the right. port of Miami, that severed this 260-acre islands. And it was owned by the Vanderbilt family. And they built a beautiful mansion there, which is now like the main club. But it was outside of 
Manhattan, probably the most expensive uh, real estate in um, in in the, the states at that time. And it was an international membership. Um, uh, I mean, Europeans, South Americans, small group that lived in Miami locally, and then uh, from the Northeast. But um, we had as many people from outside the United States as we did from inside the United States. And um, just a, a wonderful place. I mean, you could putt on the fairways. It was just, it was mm. absolutely a perfect nine holes. And these people were mostly, it was not like old money, even though we had some mostly entrepreneurs. Yeah. So they didn't quite get it that once they learned how to hit a golf ball, occasionally right on the sweet spot, they didn't quite understand why they couldn't do that every time. <laughs> so I mean, the less business down there was, I mean, you'd have people that would say, I want to take a class with you with my eight iron. I can hit my seven and my nine. But, <laughs> but I, it, was, it was quite the place. And it, it was there that we really started a wonderful golf tournament that's still going on today. Um, it's got to be 30 years. They Actually, they just had their 30th anniversary of it. It's called the International Cup Matches. I was at Glen Eagles playing um, in the Glen Eagles four ball uh, with a member from uh, Bernard Darty from France. Uh, I had an all French team except for me. And we were watching the Ryder Cup. Uh, it was on in prime time, so it must have been over here. And um, we just started thinking, we've got enough international members. We could just do this, USA versus the nations. And we did, and it was just a tremendous hit, um, although they went at each other like crazy. Uh, and, and that, you know, here's my, you know, trying to create culture and say, you know, this, this is not golf. <laughs> it's not football, <laughs> either American football or soccer. It's, right, right. You don't act like that. You know? Exactly. But, but it, you know, it was a wonderful opportunity. But then I, I had this, I was there for 10 years Oh, then, wow. That's a long time. Okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, I was a little sensitive about, you know, in fact, when I went to interview at, at Fisher Island, that, that, um, uh, he since passed away. Jim Bauman was the, uh, managing director and, um, real Miami guy, you know, with the gold chains and the white shoes, and no sock, <laughs> put his feet up on his desk and, and, you know, looked at my resume and said, so you've been in a lot of good places. Two years here, two years there, three years there. What the hell happens to you after two years? <laughs> and, you know, I humbly said, I've had a lot of opportunities just like yeah. this one. Yeah, and, yeah. And, uh, but anyway, it was a, you know, our daughter grew up there. We still have so many friends. Sure. There. But then this this opportunity. So, yeah, then, so let's talk about, because I want to get into, I know we've touched on a lot of it, but I want to get into Mayakama. So, so this is now what close two thousand. I know it opened in two thousand one, and you were hired before it opened. I think you were hired in April or something. So, so you've spent all this time in Florida. I know you obviously you grew up in Northern California, but uh, or spent you grew up in Augusta, but you spent a lot yeah. of time in Northern California. But you'd spent your adulthood with your wife, your daughter in South Florida. Um, talk to me about how this Mayakama opportunity comes about and kind of your thinking, you know, cause you did have spent so much of your professional life in South Florida. Tell me kind of the process by which you get drawn back to uh, our neck of the woods. Well, I met Susie out here. Um, she was a 
for lack of a better term, very good sport about allowing me to chase this, these yeah. opportunities in Florida. But um, although we really did like my, I didn't say, I didn't say that we liked all of it, but we really did like Miami. It was quite different, you know, was, yeah. uh, about culture. It was, it, I remember Tom Brokaw doing a newscast from Miami and said, it's, 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 it's actually hard to believe that it's part of North America. But, yeah. Um, it's a real but, international city for sure. Yeah. It's very different, but you know, when your kid goes through high school, uh, you, you just make it a home. We had a wonderful home there, but this opportunity, it was a phone call and, um, and it, it, um, it presented itself. And I, I talked to, um, a couple of different people actually called me about it and they said, you know, it's kind of up your alley. It's, it's going to be a walking only caddy program, um, club, uh, two events a year. Uh, a club championship and a member guest. And I'm thinking this is really right up my alley. Um, you know, I had no problem getting my hundred rounds a year. in. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we, we came out, we, I came out, interviewed, then they brought Susie out and we both and, and Amber and we all came out and, and interviewed and looked at it and looked at high school. My daughter was a theater maker. She, she had already been accepted okay. at Cal, but she had one year to go in Miami. And okay. uh, we even went to the high schools and went to a couple of plays. Oh, wow. Uh, and, and, um, and we, you know, everyone was kind of on the edge, but didn't really know what to do. And no one sure. would. And so we had a family meeting and I said, if one person goes against it, we won't do it. We, you know, we could retire here at Fisher Island. Right. I thought I had retired and, and uh, on that little <laughs> nine course. Um, but uh, no one would say anything. So I said, let's just do it. It'll be an adventure. You know, we, yeah. we love California. We, we, we've always loved Northern California. It's a wonderful opportunity. It's a wonderful club. Um, and so uh, they wouldn't say it. So, we decided and of course after we make the move and i come out in april and school is out and amber's going to finish her senior year out out here well that didn't work she stayed in florida with a, a family two different families and finished okay. which was finished the right there. yeah right thing to do absolutely so yeah. you're there before the for the doors open which as you mentioned open in august so um i'm so interested in the culture stuff the walking culture i love it um there's not a lot of clubs that do that. Um, and so that's interesting to me. And you got, but you obviously, that was, sounds like that was part of the deal from the beginning. So if someone's joining this club, they know, hey, I mean, I'm not taking an electric cart, I'm walking. Right. That that was uh, part of the, yeah, part of the beginning. Um, David Wilhelm is the visionary. His son is now uh, our managing partner, Jonathan Wilhelm. And uh David had this idea. He had developed a uh, Roaring Fork Club in Aspen. Okay. Actually, Basalt, right outside of Aspen. And uh, he combined these two loves of fly fishing and golf because the Roaring Fork River runs right through right it. Through, yeah. And so they have a fishing profession as well as a golf profession. Well, here we have a director of wine. Wine, right. Well, you're in the heart of the greatest wine on the continent, right? So in Sonoma County. Exactly. So David had this uh, vision of combining two other loves, golf and wine. And it's a it's a match made in heaven. And 
had this idea of having a vendor membership. So there were going to be 30. We actually have 35 now, I think. Yeah, maybe uh, explain just what that is for people who aren't familiar with it. So a vendor member, um, it, it, well, I'll go back to the walking thing. So yeah, David, yeah. one of our founders, uh, we had 35 founding members who, who invested in the club before it actually opened. Okay. And they were playing at Band of Dudes and they said, this is just the way to go. You know, yeah. we, oh boy, I so agree. Yeah. Talk to Jack, who was already, who was already, uh, you know, moving dirt. It's like, just Jack, keep in mind, we're going to make this walking over because it's, it's a hilly terrain. I, I you know, and I, and we're going to get this. I just love because he put the greens into these hillsides. I mean, it's a very walkable course, even though you wouldn't call it a flat piece of land, but the way he structured it, it's right. walking, but you know what I mean? It's just, it's yeah. he did a great job, I think, but go ahead. Yeah to the hole it's it's a, it's walkable but we have a couple of places where you got some stairs and we actually right. do put like a six-seater out where you can drive up to the hill and then then we have another six-seater at the 18th hole it's like guys i walked the whole thing i don't need to ride up you know this last one but these days i actually jump in but at <laughs> any rate, so they D david had this concept of, of golf and wine and uh the special vintner member uh, membership so um you know we we've got you have to it's an invitation only membership and it it's you your wine has to have uh so many points by uh wine spectator robert mm -hmm. Parker, uh, uh you know several different uh, there's a there's a committee made up of the vintners that kind of is involved wow. in this wow and so they're they're um some of these wines you you can't get um you know you just can't even get on their list but if you're a member of Mayakama, you can get on that mailing list and in those days you know things like lodging and the vintner program have, have kind of evolved uh over what was initially thought of but um in those days uh the the vintner was responsible for hosting an event either at their winery or uh, at the club or at another site um, for X number of people. Uh, some would be big parties. Some would be pr like private tastings for eight people or 12 people. Um, uh, but um, the vintners are, are, it's a real eclectic group, but um, uh, most of ours, I mean, there are those vintners out here that you know it's a person who made a lot of money and decided i'm going to buy a winery yeah and there are, the, yeah. there are others who grow it out of the ground or make it themselves um or in or are involved or there are those that did very well and decided they're going to make a uh, they're going to buy a winery and now they are heavily involved in it right day -to -day right operation. so we've got um uh, you know to mention a few i mean my first golf lesson at mayakama was bill harlan Harlan's. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but uh, they're a Vintner member. Uh, uh, Marcus Ann, Helen Turley, John Wetloffer, uh, Vintner members, uh, Araujo. Um, it's since they sold Araujo and they've got a, a new one now. Um, uh, Silver Oak was a member. Uh, Landmark. Um, wow. I meant to get a Tor Kenworth. Uh, that's the wine that uh, Phil drunk out drank out of the Wanamaker when he right won. famously yeah 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 got got tore some pretty good ink there but um, 
just a, a it's kind of interesting on the range. You know, a lot of them are diehard golfers and some not so. Um, interesting on the range when you get to October, when you get to around uh, August, it's like the, the conversation kind of shifts from, you know, how am I hitting it to um, what's your sugar content? And, you know, <laughs> that, that, but um, they, they would make uh, X number of cases available to the club. They would host these events. Um, it, it's just a, a really interesting aspect of it. it our locker room is a, is a beautiful locker room, um, uh, men's and women's, but um, they're, they're, they're not full-size lockers. And in some cases, you know, our members share their golf lockers, but they all have their own wine locker. Wine locker, right. I was going to say probably more wine lockers than, than locker lockers. <laughs> Downstairs in the cave. And, yeah. and so it's just a, a wonderful aspect of the club. It's a beautiful wine cellar, which we, you know, when we started out, we, we just call a lot of my friends and we would have home-and-home uh, home matches and it, just nothing better than, having a group of people having dinner down in the wine cave. It, it was just a, a wonderful ambiance. And they love that aspect. And especially when you get a, a, a vintner either playing in the event or pouring their wine and telling you about it. And so now we have uh, one of the big events at the club is the all vintner pour. Okay. Where just all kinds of food and they're all there pouring their wines. Uh, out in either the courtyard or inside, some won't pour outside. Um, and and uh, we've also have the Vintner Cup, which is like a pro am, but you you your team of three Mayakama members sign up uh, and you draw your Vintner, and your tea prize is a magnum of their or the oh, equivalent. That's awesome. Is their wine and. So it's a blind draw and you draw your Vintner and, and, you know, there's a big dinner before and then you play the Pro-Am. It was really, or the Vintner-Am, it was really pure golf. But as I said, we had some who just were not, we have some who are great golfers and some who are just, you know, they'll play in the Vintner Cup. Um, and and uh, so we had to make it a shamble so that you could, select your drive and then you play your own ball right 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 an experience that that's uh, awesome i love it and and you know the other thing for people who aren't familiar with the course i mean it's one of nicholas's most highly regarded courses and it's interesting because the scent i haven't played it i've read about it i mean i you need to jack was sort of um known for when he first started doing his courses you know you know you know they were so difficult everything needed a high fade surprise surprise to sort of right. you know play it but it's my sense from looking at not only is it beautiful the way he worked it into the um hillsides but it seems very playable that you know it's a real challenge for you know the scratch golfer but it's not going to beat up someone, you know, who's, you know, not at that level. It seems like it's a very playable course, which I think is consistent with his later designs as he got older. I mean, this is now, you know, in the late nineties, that's more consistent than some of his early work. At least that's my sense that it's, it's a really great members course. Well, you did your homework um, actually on a, a lot of this stuff and a lot of the podcasts I've listened to, but, <laughs> but that's the case here. I mean, this is 6,800 and change. So it's not, it's, I mean, granted, it's got a little elevation change, but, but, um, but not, not drastic. I mean, the dr most drastic is probably the 15th and that's a, that's a drop down. 
Um, you know, we've got an uphill par three, but and most of the most of the climbs are gradual climbs. But um, but you're you're exactly right. I mean, it's got pretty generous fairways, wonderful greens, wonderful putting surfaces. Uh, we're very fortunate. We've had the same superintendent since uh, since we were growing it in. Uh, wow. That's Dale, what's great to have that continuity. Yeah, Dale Ingman, and he does a he does a great job. And um, we just we don't have to get it tournament ready. I mean, we might put a roll on it, but it's pretty much ready to roll most of the time. That's and awesome. Putting surfaces are just they're very good. They're very true. This golf course will make you a good player um, because you have to be precise. So I say it's not overly long. Sixty eight five. Uh, we, we have a little room to stretch it back in a few areas, but we haven't, we didn't. Um, it's got a, a, the initial slope was something like 153. I, I was, I just have to, in, I know I have to interject that because I do a lot of course rating work for the SCGA down here in Southern California. That popped out at me when I saw that slope. I mean, that's telling me that don't be fooled by the yardage. <laughs> right. Um, now it's the slope is way too, way too uh low for uh women playing the forward tees um and and i i get with those raiders and say you know you're doing us a disservice we have a home and home the other team wants to walk away because they come here and they can't get it you know you try to get it up and down from here they can't do it and yet they get fewer strokes our members go there they get more strokes we're unbeatable but you know like something is off because it's not just based on the yardage. But in the case of, of the back tees, as you said, you look at the yardage, but it's, it's, you know, the terrain, uh, you, you, you've got to miss it in the right spot. But if you, if you play well, you can score on it. I mean, if you've got a 15 footer, you're, you're kind of disappointed if you don't make it or at least don't hit the hole because you, you, but you can short side yourself and, and leave yourself with some difficult, up and down situations but um we've got our membership i mean i've got players that have played in the um who've qualified you know since becoming a member here uh mid-ams senior ams senior opens wow uh, um transmiss uh really good players that i mean in guys that go like in the senior senior amateur guys that go deep you know, get in the quarterfinals. Wow, match. that's impressive. I mean, our club championship is a very, very good, uh, it's a very good tournament to work. We actually have two. We have a, a match play championship, um, and then we have a uh, club championship, which is 54 holes stroke play. Stroke play. Um, all played on the same day, men and women. And so wow. with my play, we have a referee uh, walking with each final match. Awesome. Um, you know, standard bearers. Uh, the whole deal. I mean, we, we, our tournament program, we do everything we can do to make them feel like they're playing in the U.S. Open. And again, I've stolen it all from the entry form to the awards presentation on the putting green. I've stolen it all. I I love it. Well, and, and, and one thing, I mean, I, 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 you and I could talk forever about so many different things, but one thing I want to sort of hit a little bit um, as we sort of get towards the end here is the rules stuff, because I mean, you have become, you are, you know, one of the rules experts, um, you know, you're, uh, you know, PJ Rules Committee, USGA Committee member. I'm sort of curious, 
how did that become a big part of your professional life? Because it obviously has. And I know, you know, you've worked so many important tournaments. We were talking about before the finals of the, the final group of the PGA. We've been the Masters, which I want to go back to and talk about your return there in 2019. But just how did you get into rules like at the level that you, you've uh, obviously gone to? Well, I've always been interested in it. My brother probably won't even uh, remember. I know he won't remember this, but um, I remember going out with him one time at the patch and uh, I wasn't playing because again, they were seven years apart. So, but I remember uh, in the, in the pine straw in the right rough just feels like it was the second hole. And um, he's, he's addressing the ball and, it, and it, you know, pine straw, it right. moved. And he said, that's a penalty. And uh, you have to, I, at that time, you had to drop it over your left shoulder. And and, um, and I said, well, that's weird. You know, it's like, why? You, you <laughs> like a penalty and there's nobody out here. And you, you know, he said, well, that's just, that's the way it is. You know, you call, you call a penalty on yourself. If, if, uh, so it just, it just struck me. And then um, I've always been interested. Uh, like I said, it, 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 uh, TPC at Sawgrass. I remember when all those great names were hired on the on the rules staff. Yeah, yeah. It's an interest of mine, and I, like I said, I get in those guys' back pocket whenever I could, and just it's always been an interest. But what put me over the top was um, we did the same thing at Eagle Trace. We had a match play championship and a uh, stroke play championship, and then you know we just deal with stroke play all the time for the most part. But we had a match play, and I had this member. He was uh, in in the entertainment business. He was an uh, artist management and uh, Premier Artist Services was his company. I'll keep his name aside, but he had clients like Frank Sinatra and the like. So mm-hmm. you can imagine the, the how intense that guy's job was. Yeah. And we had, I mean, the skies opened up like it can do in South Florida. And I'm thinking, well, this round is washed out. And you would have thought I had just, I mean, you know, they, they were, I don't know, four holes, five holes into the match. And he was obviously, I don't know, probably three or four up. And, you know, it was no way. And I'm being polite here. I mean, this guy gave me a talking to like, okay, I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm in South Florida. <laughs> it feels like. <laughs> um, I thought I better. I better get on this. So I started going to workshops and I went, and this was 1984. And I've gone almost every year to a a rules workshop. And I started working events and, you know, as a way to give back to the game. I worked a lot of junior events in in Miami. And then, I mean, you know, just being the head rules official for your club championship, which is a challenge in itself. I mean, when you got to tell a member, you know, sorry, you know, that's, that, yeah. That's you don't a, get relief from this. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. and, and even, even going into a member guest and it's like, you're late for the tea. Uh, you know, that is a penalty. And it's like, but it's a member guest. It's like, okay, so shall we wave it? If you hit it to the, <laughs> in the penalty stroke, I mean, where do you want me to draw the line? Right. And so, right. And eventually they come to respect that. I mean, I had, I had the leader in the club championship, the women's division here, stroke play version, incorrect scorecard. Caddy Uh-oh. was Caddy was writing the card. Uh oh. Board after round one, and said, um, I, "I didn't, I didn't make birdie on fifteen. In fact, I didn't make uh, 
I didn't make par on the 16th. And we get it out, and you know, there were all at, at any rate, there was nothing I could do. I, right. I go and look, which I did, but it didn't matter. There's nothing I could do. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He signed it, and it, you know, that was a disqualification. So, um, and it was it was a tough deal, and we're very. Uh, she and her husband, um, who was also playing in it, uh, they both, he withdrew. She was w- disqualified, and they are very close, good friends today, and respected the fact that that had to happen. So, at any rate, I just got into it and started working some events and came out here, uh, started working um, some NCGA events, the, the section events, obviously, in South Florida sure. here. Um, I'm normally playing, but um, of late I've been working as an official and um, just getting experience, making mistakes, and and uh, or hopefully those were minimal, and um, it just you know meeting people uh, on the PGA Rules Committee. Um, you know Brad Gregory. I've known Larry Startzel since I think I went to one of his very first uh, workshops where he was an instructor. Uh, PJ Boatwright, Robert O'Smith, yeah. all these people. All these people, yeah. And so, some of uh, your fellow pros who are like, I mean, Jeff Kitty, we talked about. I mean, who else? David Price from right. Dallas. I mean, you know, all you guys at that level on rules. I mean, it's got to be kind of neat to sort of have that community too. I had my handful, you know, I, I made a good enough score on the exam. So I would go to the advanced workshop. So I would, you know, we kind of have a, a small, uh, group of instructors that would teach that, but yeah. I just know them. And I, I asked, actually, I asked Brad about the rules committee and I had a good friend, Scott Kane, who's was a staff with the rules committee. He was a PGA member, but he was on the PGA staff. And I remember he said, we'll get 92 or better on the test and we'll put you on the rules committee. Well, it wasn't quite that easy, but, um, you know, after a, a couple of good scores, um, I got invited, um, uh, to be on the committee and and uh, it's just been great. So I've been on it now. I don't know. I've been on. I got in, first. I got invited to be on a USGA rules committee, and um, uh, we've actually hosted several events at Mayakama. Uh, we had one USGA championship, the men's state team, mm-hmm. and uh, and I worked that, and I I got some invitations, and finally got invited to be on the senior amateur committee. And uh, NCAA championship committee, Pac-12, all these various ones. So working all these events and, and the club, uh, Jonathan and, and Mayakama has, has just, they've been great about allowing me to do this. And I, I you know, I, I, I often say I always wanted to represent our club inside the ropes, especially at a major. Um, but I kind of hope to do it with my golf clubs, but um but you know, at least I'm inside the ropes here doing well. This. And 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 this will be a good way to kind of come full circle back to Augusta because if uh, 2019, if I'm remembering right, you worked the Masters uh, back that year, and that was kind of a. And we didn't talk about this when we were going through your childhood, but as, if I'm remembering right, I think you and your brother worked the scoreboard at the, yes. on the 11th hole back yeah. when you were in high school, and now here we are, decades, many decades later, and you're you're actually working it as a, as a rules guy. Right. And, well, and of course, 2019 was not a, uh, not a bad year to pick to go back to Augusta. Oh, no, no. And, and, and yeah, Tiger. And, uh, and I was on, 
I was on 18 on Sunday. Oh, wow. Wow. And you remember we had weather. And yes. so we had one in 10 T start. Yes. And, and so there was a, uh, and we played in threes. First time that had ever been done. Right. Uh, and, and playing in threes, but we had to beat the weather and get it in. And so, uh, and that was the final group. Uh, uh, Molinari. Francesco. Yeah, Franco Molinari. Right. Yeah. yeah. And Tiger, and I forgot who the third player was, but um, all I could think of was those guys got up on that tee. And I mean, this is historic. You know, Tiger had a, what, maybe a two shot lead? Two I, think, I think that's right. Um, all I could think about was come on, guys, hit this fairway. You can do it. Francesco hit it like right at my feet, basically, where I was standing. But, you know, fortunately, everything worked out. But yes, I in high school, I, I mean, my father went to the first Masters. Um, really? Fact, my, my cousin, um, Dino Thebus on, on, uh, and Theo Thebus, both of my cousins uh, from Augusta, they both went on to be doctors. They both have passed away now. Dino was a professor at Penn State. And, uh, and, and Theo's son is now working as a gallery guard for the first time this year at the Masters. He's a doctor up in North Carolina, but oh, wow. he, he's thrilled and I'm going to see him. I leave Tuesday because I'm working the Augusta National Women's Amateur and then the Masters right after that. So um, at any rate, my cousin, uh, yeah, my father went to the first tournament and I knew somebody in my family had was an eyewitness to the double eagle, which was the second Masters, I think. Yeah, we mean Sarah's in against Craig Woods, right? Yeah, Knocking it in on exactly. fifteen. Yeah, my cousin Dino Thebus uh, was on the thirteenth hole when that happened. Wow, this uh, is amazing that you have that lineage. That's awesome. And so, so you know, we we had tickets all along back in those days because okay. in those days you could get them, uh, and then it became more difficult to get, and they didn't pass on from parent to child. Uh, once that happened. So once we actually, once we moved to California, my father didn't renew and that was the end of. Our oh bed. boy. Oh, too bad. But, but, um, but I did. So buddy worked on a number 11 scoreboard in high school. And then when I got to high school, I worked on number 11 scoreboard. And in those days you sat in front of, there was a platform in front. Right. And you I remember. Right. And you had a rolling ladder. So, right. 11, you know, for everybody knows where it is. It's right yep. there, Amen Corner, and yep. you can now half the city of Augusta or now patrons uh, positioned up on the viewing platform, which we, you know, in other sports are the grandstand. Yeah, no, terminology is always yeah. important at Augusta. <laughs> it's the best. So um, you have the viewing platforms up there by the twelfth tee, but you're isolated down here. You're just over the eleventh green, over the pond. And right. we in front of that board. So you roll the ladder and you had usually, I think it was about three of us on the board and, um, or maybe four of us, uh, one down below, you know, getting out the numbers and then one on the radio. And it's, you know, you, you roll the ladder up, you climb up, you got the leader's n number in your hand and you hang, you hang it on the leaderboard and then you stand there for a minute. And then you hear all of eight all the cheer right up there. You hear a stir, and then when you get down the ladder, there's a roar. Yeah, and it it's so like, cool. Yeah, I got it, Augusta. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, 
So now you, you, you come full circle and, and now the PGA of America Rules Committee, um, there are four of us that go in early and and because they don't mark the penalty areas of Augusta National except for the Masters and now for the annual Women's Amateur, yeah. Uh, so we go in and the four of us uh, mark it. So we, we go in, we go to maintenance, we get golf cars, we've got access all around the, the perimeter outside the the, the golf course, uh, you know, we can cut across the holes of, through the crosswalks, but we put all the penalty area lines and there's still a lot of yellow paint uh, at Augusta National. Mostly, you know, we're using red only in most venues now, but Augusta National, we still use a lot of a lot of yellow. So we, we put down the paint, uh, we put in the stakes, those few that are there and you, you'll never see them, but they're like, they're in the transition areas for the most part. Okay. And way out of play. Um, but uh, where you're painting through pine straw, we'll put some stakes in there in case something happens to the line and we've yep. got some stakes there. Yep. But, but uh, in the pine straw, the, the stakes themselves are no more than about four or five inches tall with a spike on the bottom. And, and like where you cross the, the bridges over Ray's Creek, whether it's the Hogan Bridge or the Nelson Bridge or the yeah. bridges by 13 or the Saracen Bridge, that, that stake is maybe about two inches out of the ground, just so we know where the transition from red to yellow. Yeah, yeah. Occurred. So, um, and then we also put in the drop zones. Well, um, I have to put in the drop zone at number 11 because that was my, that was my. That's, it. That's where you were. And of course you have to, you have to, your circle, you can't, you can't paint an egg. Your circle has got to be a circle. Oh, and, I, I absolutely. I'm sure it has to be perfect. And you, it does. And, and we actually have quite a few once you nothing on the front that I can think of. And once you get down there, there's a, there's one on 11, 12, 13, uh, 15 and 16. And um, but I have to do number 11 and we paint them in green paint. So if you make a mistake, it's not like you can cover it up. Um, but, you know, you they could just bring in the side and you'd never know it was there the next day. I, I, I'm sure that would happen in five seconds. <laughs> but it's, it's an honor to be able to do that. One, one thing, you know, because we do, we do get to navigate around the circumvent the golf course around, around the perimeters. And we've been watching this area behind 13 for some time um, that, you know, was, in fact, we played, we have a day off between the the Anwa and the, it's when the drive chip and putt is, and we had the privilege of playing Augusta Country Club, and I got to see the new, um, the new, uh, what is it, the ninth hole, how it kind of the, the new ninth hole on the other course, right? Where right. they because they had to realter it, just so people know for the extended thirteenth tee, which we'll all we've been seeing Google Earth pictures of, we'll exactly. all see it in the in the tournament, but they had to eat into the neighboring course, and so they had to reconfigure the ninth hole at the neighboring course, right? We, we, you know, we're there on the road in 2019, but then we come back in 2020. It's like, wow, this road's got a big bend in it around yeah. now. And so we go and look and you're kind of looking through the bushes. It's like, that's, there's 13. So, you know, this, maybe this, if they decide to do it, maybe this is where they're going to go. And next year, there was a big wall around it. And so we've kind of been keeping our eye on it. on it, sure. So I'm, I'm very anxious to see it. It's just one of those things that, um, you know, they do such a wonderful job on everything they do there. They sure and do. They, they show you a they show you a video that they show all new all new employees or all, all 
people that work the tournament, including us on the rules committee. And I get choked up every time I watch it. I mean, it just talks about every, every day, every year, we try to do something better than what we did before. And that's really what they do. So it, it's just, it was when I called my brother and said, in 2019 said, Hey, bud, I got invited to be a, 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 on the rules committee at Augusta at the masters this year. He said, wait a minute. What? He said, do me a favor, hang up, call me right back and tell me that again. And he just, <laughs> was, he was just but, you know, it's just, and they treat you as if you're a member. I, I, they, they look after you so nicely. They, they constantly thank you for being there. Um, they, they send you a letter at the end of it with a, a beautiful photograph of the rules committee. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, as Jim Nance says, a tradition like no other. Uh, unlike so I, any other, right? Yeah, this is my, this is my fifth masters. Um, but um, my, my, uh, I know we're, we're running short on time, but I'll tell you the very first one that I worked. Yeah. Know, I couldn't believe it. Um, you know, we have the rules committee meeting, and they ask you to stand up and say your name and where you're from uh, if it's your first master's. Um, now, because of COVID, the, the, it shrunk. November of 2020 was right, really right. the fall. Yeah, the fall master's, sure. Yeah. But um, so I got to stand up and say where I was from. And and, uh, and this was a big room. I mean, we had we had observers on, on every hall. We had rules committee on every hall. And we went from that to you know, condensing it. And now we've, we've grown, but, you know, we had every golf association in the world. I mean, we still have the RNA, uh, the DP world tour, the PGA tour, PGA of America, USGA. I and mean, it, it's, a, and then obviously the master's uh, rules committee. And um, so I'm in this, I, you know, I, I go to the rules committee meeting and then we have a, a walk around after that. Um, I didn't work the ANWA that year. That was the first year. So I came down right after. So you walk the golf course and walk it and, and, you know, you get your assignments. And I was on number two green the first day. So I was thinking, well, that's pretty good. Not a whole lot that can go wrong there <laughs> because I, I, you know, I worked some pretty big events, but I was just sure. nervous. And, sure. And this is just my hometown. And it's just your so, hometown and the most important tournament, arguably yeah, in the exactly. world, but go ahead. <laughs> so we, we're, um, and, you know, I went to the Masters with my father as a kid. I saw Ben Hogan there. Sure. You know, go to the range and watching hit balls. My father, I knew it was somebody because when my father says, that's Ben Hogan, you know, walking down the second <laughs> hole. So I'm having all this stuff come back at me. So we're, we're in the tournament headquarters. Everything is fine. No, no issues. So it's okay. It's time to head out. Number two green. So I'm walking out of the rules tournament headquarters and Tom Carpus on our committee stops me from across the room he goes hey ted he looks right at me you know looking almost through me he goes have a great time out there and it just it got me so i walk out i walk out of tournament headquarters and i'm walking across number one and you're that's the high end of the grounds there yeah. yep. overlook all the pine trees and i'm overlooking all this and i'm thinking the cabbage patch is just, I don't know how many miles, but it's not that far, just that direction. And my house on 2215 Breckenbridge Avenue, it's not that far in that direction. And Magnolia Cemetery, where my father is at rest and you know, all of my relatives 
it's not that far in that direction. You know, I'm just, you know, goofy little kid that grew up, grew up in Augusta and here I'm coming back in this capacity. I mean, it's even hard to talk about it now, but I just, I got choked up. I could, no, don't blame you. And, and, uh, and, I, and I'm walking out there just by myself. I got my, my rules bag and my umbrella and my chair. Of course, you get there and it's like, okay, introduce yourself to the whole captain. I right, go right to the camera guys. It's like, okay, where am I going to be where you're not going to see? And what goes on here? What, what are the issues that we have on this hole? And then, you know, I got through that day and there was nothing. And then, you know, I, I end up, I, of course, I worked 12 uh, that year. I worked 13 that year. And I'm working, I work 18 uh, drive zone that year. And um, it just, it was just an unbelievable experience. And I, I remember thinking as a kid, you know, we, we'd always watch the, uh, the putting green presentation. And I remember as a kid, all those, first of all, the chairs that are out on the putting green. It's like, how do you do that? Right, uh, right, right, right. They're, they're like indoor, yeah. beautiful upholstered chairs, yeah, you know, yeah. wooden uh, frames. And I'm thinking, who are those guys out there? I mean, I see the green jackets, but the, the all the members, but who are those other guys in all the blue blazers and the jackets and ties? And I, I just remember thinking, it's like, I'm going to be one of those dignitaries. Of course, with the weather, we didn't have the putting green presentation. Right, 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 right. But well, hopefully it'll hold hold this year. I mean, I love that it gets full circle. Um, Ted, this is... I could talk forever about all the stuff with you and we're going to definitely have to do this again at some point, but this has been wonderful. I I'd really appreciate it. it. This is so much fun to talk with you. And um, uh, you've just had such a stellar career and, and um, it's just, it's been wonderful talking to you. I, you're going to have, a, I'm sure you'll have a great time at the masters um, and enjoy it. And uh, I will um, again, thank you for being so generous with your time. And I will look forward to, uh, talking to you again sometime soon. Well, my pleasure, Larry. It's, I, I really enjoy the podcast. You've got such a great lineup and uh, I'd be honored to talk to you again sometime. It's going to be a pretty good year this year. Um, I, I got invited to do the BMW at Wentworth. And, oh, wow. And then the Ryder Cup. Uh, and there's a week off in between. And I, I tell you, I'm a Lynx golf nut and I, I'm a member of St. Andrew's Golf Club and I have a Lynx ticket, which I haven't used since COVID. So uh, we're going to head north. Um, oh, I'm jealous. Part of that time after that. But um, yeah, it's, it's, I've got a pretty good, I'm excited about the women's championships I'm doing this year. I'm doing the uh, women's U.S. Amateur again, the women's Open at Pebble. Which Pebble, is, yeah. And then the women's PGA at uh, Baltusrol. Oh, uh, wow. It, what a great lineup. It, it, it's terrific. So uh, hopefully I'll have nothing to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> well we'll definitely talk again soon thank you so much ted thank you very much i appreciate it